Welcome to Literally Two Cents About Content, a podcast about what it's like to write for as little as two cents per word. I'm Alex. And I'm Elizabeth. Today, we were going to talk about something that is not directly in our normal wheelhouse of content marketing, content creation, although it is related to that for sure. I think there are some ideological points to be made about how content is shared and how it is, well, created that will be relevant to this topic. But what we're going to do is, actually it's super relevant because so much of what we talk about as content creation and content marketing, anything that's dependent on the word content is to a great degree mediated by social media. So the entire idea of the content mill, like the SEO content mill, Really, you just can't have that at all unless you have Facebook. And even though I wouldn't consider Google itself a social network in the literal sense, of course, it is associated with YouTube, which, like Google, is also a quasi-social network. You know, I don't think of it as, as Facebook, where you're interacting a lot with the same people over and over again, liking and resharing things. It does have a similar structure. And so between the, between, I mean, in the 2000s, anything that you created at, if you were working for any, anywhere from BuzzFeed, so it's like a quasi prestige publication in a way, because it published a lot of news at the same time, it was publishing like the five Game of Thrones characters that you might be. And at the same, so in BuzzFeed or Upworthy was another one that was really big that this man had a car crash, what happened next, you'll never believe, things like that. So those were totally optimized to be shared through Facebook and just get massive amounts of, of traffic. And the pivot to video was also another social media-driven phenomenon. So that background is just to say that social media and content are deeply intertwined. So the, the idea that what you're making is some kind of interchangeable sludge in a way, anything from a video to a music track, to a blog post, to a tweet, that it's all of it somehow is called content. That's not really possible in a world where social media doesn't exist because social media is, it's really you're just a, one great big funnel for all of that to go through with no context or warning, really. It's all there like in one timeline for you, as we discussed in like the Jenny O'Dell episode. So what we're going to look at instead is what if you had a different type of social media? What if you had social media that wasn't a built on just trying to monetize everyone's attention? Proprietary. Yeah, be a proprietary platform and see just choked with ads and all kinds of what I would call spawn con, like sponsored content or posts that are maybe not literally sponsored or paid for, but they're structured in such a way to take advantage of how the platform works. So the best example for me is all the LinkedIn posts that are, they have an opening paragraph where they have some kind of, the person didn't know what it was like to do something, or they never thought they'd be in this situation, or 
this was the toughest thing they ever did. And then it goes on for five or six more paragraphs and has a bunch of hashtags and it has some sort of weird inspirational story in it, which is maybe not that inspirational when you think about it. There's an entire subreddit that's just about that type of content and it's called LinkedIn Lunatics. So if you ever want to, oh, yeah. if you ever want to check that out, it's, it's one of my favorite subreddits. And actually I will come back to Reddit later, but what we're going to talk about mainly is two things. So the first is one that people may have been more likely to have heard of the two that we're going to talk about, and that's Mastodon. And the other one is ActivityPub, which is a protocol. So Mastodon is built. And Mastodon is built on. So I think we could do either one of these first, and it would probably be just as easy to understand. I don't know if you have a preference for this, but... So I think we should talk about a little bit of ActivityPub first. Okay. Because it is like the the foundation of Mastodon and like the idea behind it, right? So it's, as you said, an internet protocol, which essentially means the thing that websites are built on top of. It, that is my most generic, yeah, technologically so like, like way of saying. Yeah, HTTP is a protocol. In fact, the P in its name means protocol. And then you have other protocols that people may have either heard of or that even if they haven't heard of them, they've definitely used simple mail transfer protocol. That's how mail gets sent between different mail servers like Yahoo and Gmail, Outlook and so on. And then you have other protocols such as there's one called Oh, this one is really something me. I had on the tip of my tongue, but oh, I think it's the authorized transfer. That's uh, another protocol that's used by a social network called Blue Sky, which is mm-hmm. an alternative to Mastodon and Twitter. So, yeah, a protocol is, is it's a way of communicating essentially. It's a way to make it appear a certain communicate between websites. Yeah, and it's and protocols are standardized like HTTP, SMTP. FTP, file transfer protocols, an older one that you don't see as much anymore, but you used mm-hmm. to be able to type into your browser instead of HTTP, you could type FTP colon two slashes and then go to a file that way. Gopher was a protocol that was very popular in, mm-hmm. in before the World Wide Web really took off. And it's still usable, but it's quite limited. So a protocol, activity prep is a protocol. So it is, yeah. So it's a, it's, but it's the big difference between like activity pub, whatever Twitter is built, whatever Facebook, Instagram, whatever are built on is that it's decentralized, which essentially when you, when you break it down to the like brass, right? Mm-hmm. It means that whatever is built activity pub can be interoperable with other social media websites mm. and functionally that means like your tiktok videos would be able to be seen and interacted with in your twitter feed or your instagram posts show up and you can interact with them on those various platforms and you're not locked into the silo of that form to with posts yeah so Activity Pub. The main thing that I would one one of the main things I would say about it is that it's not meant to be commercial exactly. 
So it's maintained by the World Wide Web Consortium, which is the com- the group that sets the standards for the World Wide Web. It's, it's kind of been around for almost 30 years. This was built with the idea that you could have basically the essential features of a social network, like the ability to post things, to delete those posts if you want to interact with posts from other people, and to get notifications that someone has posted, someone has liked your post, someone has replied to your post. So really like the really the bare bones. Right. So it's it runs on a it runs on a client server API, which I think describing API will be important in a second as well. Yeah, but ba- but basically you have a client which is the app or service that you're using on your end and there's a server which is somewhere else. And the two of you are like you use your client to connect to the server and post things, delete things, interact with things. Activity Pub, it it has an interesting history because, first of all, it, if you want to really go back pretty far, the the GNU project, which was founded in the early 1980s, I think this year it might actually be the 40th anniversary. It was an attempt to make a, an entire operating system built on what was called free and open source software. Sometimes this was called FOSS, or but now sometimes referred to instead, I think it's FLOSS, because they added an L for Libre, because in English, free, of course, can mean either you don't have to pay for it or that it's open. So they added the Libre to me to show that they meant that not necessarily, not all free software is monetarily free. Some of it, people will charge for it. But the idea is that with free and open source software, you can do anything with it that you want. You can modify it. You can see you know, all of its inner workings. There's really nothing that's hidden from you. So you can take it. You can even fork it, meaning you can make your own version of it and maintain that separately. And there's no issue with like, no one's going to give you like a copyright notice on that or something. GNU built a bunch of components of this free and open source operating system, but they never quite, there was always one piece that they couldn't quite get together. And that was the kernel, which is in the simplest terms, the way that the hardware interacts with the the operating system. So it's a very basic thing. And then, so they had built out all these components for years. They built up Emacs, which is a text editor. They built out the GNU compiler collection, which is like all the different compilers for for running languages like C and C++, but they were missing this kernel. And then in 1991, a student named Linus Torvalds came up with something called the Linux kernel. That was what it eventually became called. It wasn't called that at first, but that was like the missing piece that they needed. So whenever somebody makes something now called like a, a Linux distribution or just some anything that is called Linux, what they're usually referring to is the Linux kernel plus these other components, some of which are from the GNU project or from elsewhere. And together they make a free and open source system. And GNU tried to, one of their projects in the 2000s was they were going to try to make a free and open source alternative to last.fm, which is a, a service for recording the different types of music that you play and, and keeping track of all of that. They that project evolved after a while and it became a piece of software that was renamed a couple of times, but 
maybe it's uh, the name I think it had the longest was StatusNet. And StatusNet was a social network as we would now recognize it. There was a stream of posts and you could interact with these posts. It had a, it had a lo-fi feel to it. It was almost more like a forum than maybe a modern social network, but it was a social network. You would get on there and you could have friends and follow people and so on. And then later on, there was a, an, a the W3C came up with a better version of StatusNet, which I believe its first name was pump.io or it was pump. And that got incorporated into the name Activity Pump, which was then modified into Activity Pub, which is a little more accurate, I think, to how it actually works because you are publishing things. So then that was, once that was finalized, that then became the foundation for quite a few different services. So you have Dica was is the name of one. There's PeerTube, which is a play on YouTube. PixelFed, an alternative to Instagram, but Mastodon is definitely the most the most famous of all of these. The one that has broken into the general public knowledge. Yeah. So Mastodon was founded in but launched in 2016. And I wouldn't, it's sometimes described as a social network, but just to pick some nits here, I wouldn't say it's a social network per se. I'd say it's software for making mm-hmm. a social network. So that there is, so if you wanted to use Mastodon, it's nothing at all like it is with Facebook or Twitter. Like you don't go to mastodon.com and log in and you know, everybody is there on the same site interacting. Instead, there are a bunch of different servers that are all running the same software. And that's how they, that's how they can connect to each other and share information. So each Mastodon, they call them instances. So you can have the mo, the original one, which is still running, is called Mastodon.social and it's run by the developers of the software. So it is what you would call the original official instance. But there are lots of others that are run by, some of them are run by single individuals. Some of them are run by organizations like Medium. The online blogging platform has their own Mastodon called me.dm. And so all of these instances are, they're interacting with each other via this activity pub protocol. So the, if you think of it as a layer, the activity pub protocol is the sort of the engine and then the car is, is the Mastodon software. And uh, it, this metaphor can go some weird places, but it's, <laughs> yeah. So they, the, the, this software is free to use. So the only, the, of course, actually setting it up is there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a technical hurdle there to getting it up and running. But once you do, so it's, but as long as a server is running Mastodon, like the software, it can interact with other Mastodon instances. The best analogy I can think of, so this sounds pretty abstract, but I think the analogy that most people would probably understand is that it works a lot like email does in a way. Because if you think about email... I I was going to mention yes. If you think of email is the most successful federated technology ever by far, because you have essentially just all kinds of different servers out there, mail servers out there. So you have gmail.com, you have yahoo.com, you have icloud.com, Outlook, and you have all kinds of other 
smaller mail servers. Hotmail. Well. Hot, hot mail. Yeah. <laughs> now, these are all different servers, right? So they, they, in email is one of those things that I would say that if it, if it didn't exist, it's like a public library. If it didn't exist, it couldn't be invented because nobody would ever abide the no, design. Would do that. Because now, like now, if you got an email from somebody like, at Gmail and you didn't have Gmail, it would have some kind of notice at the bottom, probably say something like, want to reply, get Gmail first, something like that. Because there wouldn't be, there would be, but the reason you can reply to other people's emails, even if they're on a different server, is because underneath all these mail servers are using a common set of protocols to interact, SMTP being the most important one. So the standardized protocol, any mail server that has the, the at symbol and the name is using SMTP to interact with other mail servers. So you don't need, if your grandma has a Hotmail account. Yeah. You don't need to have a Hotmail account to email your, she, yeah. like you, you can email her from your Gmail account. You know what I find interesting about this though? The thing that you said about, about how this would be invented now because people would only want to do it in their silos. Yeah. I, it's funny because I work at a university and we have a setup on all of our emails. If we email someone outside the university, there's like a big yellow box. <laughs> hey, this isn't a, at our domain. Yeah. Are you sure you want to be doing this? <laughs> Which it's like taking baby steps in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Of of just being in, in the silo forever. Yeah. It, organizations, they definitely don't want emails from outside of their silos. And Mastodon, incidentally, can work in a similar way because a ma one Mastodon instance can choose to defederate another one. So basically, that instance cannot interact with it anymore. I love this. Yeah. I, I This, it feels like... As a person who only has been using Mastodon very infrequently, I'm tr really I'm doing my best I'm trying to replace Twitter. But the startup cost of using Mastodon is pretty, and I want to talk about that in a minute. But yeah, what I find really fascinating is that you have to learn like certain vocabulary words, mm. and every time somebody says, "Oh yeah, it's a federated <laughs> service," yeah. I'm like, "Is this?" Star Wars? What is happening? Yeah. And now you're saying like other uh, servers can defederate yeah. other people, right? Yeah. And so it, it really does just feel like Star Wars out here. So the admin can, the admin of any instance can choose to defederate any instance. So, which uh, would basically mean you can't, you can't interact. With it, it'd be like if, other it would be like if your company just decided one day that it wasn't going to accept any email from Gmail domain accounts anymore. So that'd be a pretty big deal. It would. So on Mastodon recently, there was actually some threats. People saying they were going to defederate Mastodon.social, the original Mastodon server, because of something with like crypto spam. So the way the signup process for Mastodon is what you were just saying, actually, about how there's a big learning curve. One of the biggest oh. issues was the onboarding process used to be when you went to sign up for Mastodon, the first thing you had to do was pick an instance. And so how do you find them? So where do you get them? Yeah, so Is like, there a list? If you went to join Mastodon, the website, it would give you some starter ones to, to use, but it really was not clear like why you would pick one over the other. Like it might say this instance is focused on art and this one is focused on science. But this is actually one of my issues with Mastodon was I picked one Early on, I think it was bastodon.sdf.org, which SDF stands for Super Dimensional Fortress. So it was some kind of 
what is the name yes. for this? It's like, a, I don't know if it's a co a club or something like, like in Texas dedicated to like retro computing. And so they have a big like server farm and everything. But this instance was incredibly slow. So it would often get posts from other instances on like a 30 or 40 minute delay. And I thought that, so someone posts something on Mastodon.social. It doesn't show up in my timeline for 30 minutes, maybe even an hour. And so I thought all of Mastodon worked this way. And, but I recently, as in about a month ago, I migrated my account to Mastodon.social. And then I was shocked at how basically all the interactions became instantaneous. So someone posts something, I see it right away. Someone replies, I can reply right away. They might like it right away, but they changed the... I was sorry. I was just going to say they did change yeah, yeah. the onboarding process though. Now, yeah. when you go and sign up, you're defaulted to Mastodon.social. So that's, uh-huh. uh, and really, if you were new to Mastodon and you didn't really know anybody else on there, I think Mastodon.social is your best bet because A, it is quite fast. It's, it's very well maintained because the project developer is directly running it. And it's also always on the latest version of the software. So that's another issue that could come up is, if you're on an instance that's maintained by somebody who's not super savvy, they might be actually running an outdated version of the Mastodon software. So certain features might not even be available to you. And, but it's so that they did streamline it a little bit by making it where if you sign up, you go into Mastodon.social. So there's about, I want to say there's, I don't know, Mastodon.social has at least, I think, a million or two million users. So it's by far the biggest of all the Mastodon instances. But if you don't like the experience there, you can always migrate to another instance and it's not too hard to do. The process is, takes a couple steps, but you get, you can keep all of your followers and all of your, the accounts you're following, but the one that you don't get to keep is your posts. So your posts stay on the old server and, but uh, yeah. This whole, so I, I also joined Mastodon maybe a year ago and maybe joined is the right word. I made an account. Yeah. And the at the time, they hadn't yet done this streamlining of the process when it, you start on Mastodon.social. It felt more like, who and if you know someone who is moving to Mastodon, you just go with them. And so I'm on a server called Dice Camp because mm-hmm. of the D&D project. Yep. And I, it's fine. I don't have any problems with it, but I genuinely do not know oh here's the other thing about it is that for higher education like profession quote-unquote professional profile yeah i made another profile on a different server specifically for higher ed mm. marketing and then i thought maybe this isn't the right way to do yeah maybe i just need one account and so it felt like there was no onboarding like process yeah. there was no like Here's how to use it. You could Google that. Right. Like, how do I do this? Yeah. It's, but it's not very intuitive. It's not, and the vocabulary that they use to talk about some of this stuff is really esoteric. Yeah. And if you're not really, I guess like it's easy to pick up Twitter. You just sign whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a monolith. It's right. just Twitter. But yeah. these things, it's a little more difficult to get in the, the right headspace to learn how to use these tools. And the, I don't know, maybe when you are, maybe you don't necessarily need to know what the word federated means in terms of 
social networks. Maybe you don't need to know what it means to be a decentralized social network to use the platform, but I think to use it effectively, you have to be aware of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, the way the app is, actually, I should take a step back there because the Mastodon experience is quite a bit different depending on the types of clients you use to access it. But the, one of the things that it tries to do in all, in across all these clients, all these, the official app, the website, the way it's designed on mo on all the instances I've used is that there are actually three timelines that you can view and some clients that you view even more in which I'll talk about in just a second. But the first timeline is the following timeline. So that's the timeline of all the accounts that you follow, regardless of what server instance they're on. Then you have the local timeline, which is only accounts on your instance. And then there's the federated timeline, which is the timeline of all posts of all the servers that your server is connected right. to. So that timeline would not include any servers that it had defederated or, but otherwise it would, it's just one big long stream here. Every single post that is coming from every service federated, unless those posts are set to be like unlisted or private. So I think a lot of people will tend to use, well, in my, in my opinion, maybe this is different on some other specialty servers, but I almost never use the local timeline. It's just, maybe when I first started, I looked at it to try and discover accounts to follow. And it turned out that with the SDF server being so slow, the only time on that was it fast at all was a local one. So it was because anything was federated, it took forever to get any sort of message. But I feel like most people just use it at the following timeline. That's it. They don't bother with the local timeline. They don't bother with the, and then the federated timeline is, is completely overwhelming. Some Mastodon clients allow you to connect to other local, other instances, like they call them remote local instances, which is a funny turn of phrase. But basically you can go into another instance and browse it on like the local level. So you can see, just show me all the posts on monads.online and you would just see, you would just see that and that's it. So it's the, see, hold on, message here. So the, but I think most people do just use the following timeline because it's the one, it's the part of Mastodon that's most, will look most like the other social networks that they've used. So it's just, here's the ordering of, here's a reverse chronological feed of all the accounts you follow. And this is probably a good place to point out that Mastodon doesn't have any sort of post-serving algorithms, unlike Twitter or Facebook or even Tumblr's For You tab or, or TikTok. There's no sort of black box code that's running that's deciding here's the post you'll see in what order. Instead, it's just showing you here's every single, here's every single post or every account you follow. So it's in a way it's, it is a throwback because Twitter used to be like that and used to be Twitter was, did not have an algorithmic timeline. Instagram used to be like that before it had algorithmic timelines. It was just a, it was just, uh, here's all the, here's all the posts from the accounts you're following. That's why and I enjoy Tumblr so much because that's why that's how the following tab of Tumblr is. It's chronological. Yeah, so t Tumblr has implemented it pretty well because Tumblr you can say show me only the things that I follow or I'm trying to find something new here. Show me the rec yeah the for you tab. 
Twitter tries to do the same thing, but in my opinion, it doesn't really work because I swear on the for you tab, not the for you, the following tab, even though it's supposed to show you only the accounts you're following in reverse chronological order, it seems like some accounts just never show up there. And so you can go to their page and, uh, and see a bunch of posts that you didn't even know about. And you're like, I thought I was, I thought I had, thought I was following this person. Did, did I mute them or something by accident? And it's, and Twitter has all kinds of weird technical, technical glitches going on now too. It'll, sometimes you'll edit something and then it'll just post something completely different. But anyway, so Mastodon doesn't have any of that. It, there's no for you. There's no recommended. There's no, you know, what's hot. There's not, nothing like that. There's no ads either. So you'll never see an ad on Mastodon. And so it's quite, I don't know if bare bones is the right word for it. Cause it's still rich in a lot of ways. Cause then people post images, they post links and so on. Although depending on the server, I think videos are quite constrained. Mm-hmm. So I think some servers won't accept any videos above a certain length. So that, well, that's something that I wanted uh, to bring up too, right? Because the, you're talking about how the server that you were on was awful slow mm-hmm. and it, and some servers don't allow you to do video and like bigger mm-hmm. images. Server has its own, each server has its own policies. Well, and I think that so, comes, yeah. comes from this decentralized idea because they're yeah. not a pooled resource. It's not a monolith Twitter. Like yeah, these individuals right. who are running the resources. Yeah. So you couldn't say, so like a lot of statements that you could make about other social media would be impossible to make about Mastodon. So you could say something like, for example, when Ron DeSantis did his announcement on Twitter and who were like, Twitter servers are just getting slammed. Twitter is so slow right now. That wouldn't make sense with Mastodon because there is no like centralized Mastodon server farm. Every instance has its own infrastructure. Right. So this explains why some instances are quite a bit faster than others. Some features don't exist on, will exist on, I think Mastodon.social gets features before other servers do, because of course it's the official, it's the official server. So features like the ability to quote posts, like you, you, like Twitter, where you quote tweet something, you put somebody else's tweet and you put a comment above it. That used to not be available on Mastodon. And also full text search was something that's not been implemented in Mastodon to date because I think one of the rationales was that it made it easy to harass people. If you could try and find some old post by them and say, Hey, what about this? You said something different here. And, or, and quote tweeting was similar logic. They thought that it was basically existed to dunk on people, which is, (laughs) which is how it is often used on Twitter. (laughs) But uh, the other thing too, is that uh, I would say something about Mastodon is that in light of those two design things, the quote posts in the search, which apparently are getting modified to be a little bit more like Twitter, but even, I think it's very hard to go viral on Mastodon. And what, part of the reason is that first of all, is the Federation the thing. So like, yeah, right? like they're, yeah. the lack of algorithm. So even if your post does super well, doesn't mean somebody is more likely to see it than something that didn't do well. It's in some cases, it's just a, it's pure luck. Did, did somebody, they follow boost it. And so in Mastodon, when you sh- instead of on Twitter, would be called a retweet. It's called a boost or a reblog on Mastodon. So, and then the likes and replies are not synced between servers either. So sometimes you might see a tweet coming, or not a tweet, a post that come into your timeline and you'll see it has like maybe two, two likes and one reply or something. But then if you visit it on, so like that, so you might see that like in, in the app you're using for Mastodon, but then you go to that, the instance of where that post was originally posted. And then all of a sudden you see it has a bunch of replies that you did not see in the app, in your client. 
And that's because it's not always, these are not synced between instances. So that can be, apparently there's some work underway to try and fix that too. But yeah, the fact that there's no algorithm means that a lot of times the post, there's a viral post is very hard to achieve. And uh, so sometimes I feel like you're just talking into the void. On the other hand, the fact that there are no algorithms means that you don't, I think one of the concerns I've always had on Twitter, especially recently, is that if you post something, if it has certain words or things in it, it'll just be more likely to get buried. So the algorithm will just, and you have no transparency into that. It it would just, there's some algorithm that is making sure that, I think there were some details revealed about it once that links make, make a post less likely to be seen. Pictures make it more likely to be seen. And so on certain words, well, if you ever mention the word Substack, it'll like down rank. And I post. think it's, there's this nebulous, oh, the algorithm, whatever, but like someone coded that. Someone made a business decision to code into Twitter that if yeah. you talk about Substack or Mastodon, that your post gets suppressed. Yeah. It's, and those algorithms, they exist to, to affect engagement. So it's, it's how people used to notice that. Things that made them mad often got surfaced really high on Facebook yes. and Twitter. Engagement because, is uh, yeah. whatever. If you're enraged, <laughs> you're more engaged. Yeah. <laughs> but then, then on Mastodon, it, there's there's no money to be made for anyone. It There's no, you don't really see those types of, you don't see that type of clickbait or trying to get people to, drawing people into arguments. That doesn't really occur there in the same way. So. It's refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's a different experience. But on the negative side, I would say that Mastodon, of course, the learning curve is kind of tough. And also the audience, I would say, is a little more technical. So it's a lot of programmer types and people who work in software. You can feel like you're maybe not with the most diverse crowd sometimes. And there has been, there, there was, a, there's been issues with black users in particular saying that they felt like they were being harassed off the platform because they were trying to talk about issues that other people thought should have had a content warning on them. So this is a Mastodon thing where someone will put a content warning on a post and basically it'll have an exclamation point and they might have a small description like violence or controversial take or something and you'd have to click it and expand it to see what they had said. I guess the idea being that if you scroll through your timeline, maybe you wouldn't want to see that out in the open. You would want to like make the conscious choice to engage with it. So different servers have different norms or rules about what should be content warning or not. And, but in practice, it has sometimes been used to tell people this take is too spicy or too controversial. You should have put it in the content warning. And so that did become an issue with, like I said, some black users on Mastodon in particular found that was what they called it an HOA-esque experience. So like each, if like we don't going talk about it, some it's not gonna, or it's, it, it didn't happen. Yeah. And the H, yeah. And so. It's, that's the downside. And then Mastodon posts do get, I think we talked about engagement. So obviously they're not driving like a lot of website traffic or advertising views because there are no ads, but people do often reply more than they might on Twitter, at least in my experience, because especially if you're a smaller account. So if you're a smaller account on Twitter, you're almost invisible. You wouldn't, people just would never bother sending you a reply or something, but on Mastodon, they might. They might do it. And people have done some comparisons of that, like how they would post something on Twitter and post something on Mastodon. It would get quite a few more replies in Mastodon than it would on Twitter, even though the absolute number of views on Twitter would be way higher 
and it, I guess it's part of it. I think it's, it's yeah. it, part of that is because people are choosing to engage with your content because they're yeah. they are choosing to I guess that logged in at the right time of day or whatever to see your post but <laughs> it's less of a you're being influenced by this nebulous twitter algorithm and more like these are the people who are choosing to engage with your hosts and mm -hmm. i i think about i can't imagine what it's like to build a twitter following nowadays because i think i have close to 800 followers on twitter i think three of them see it that i ever post but <laughs> i I quote unquote built that 10 years ago, right? Before the algorithm was as stringent as it is. And so like now I can't imagine what it's like to try to build a Twitter following. Cause yeah. I just, I, even my 800 followers, like I'm a little Twitter account and three people see my posts. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have maybe, I think I have 55 followers or something and that I'm asked on to have about 200. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I guess building a mass on following often is a lot of times if you post something about politics, you can get quite a bit of engagement yeah, because it's a very, it's a very left-leaning net social network. I don't know why there's just really no right-wing presence on there at all. I think it's either because they, the idea of a free and open source network is something that maybe is just too hard for right-wingers to grapple with, or that it's just the, the learning curve is too high. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but but incidentally, I think True Social was actually forked from Mastodon, the the Trump social network. But it, and they had some issue with they didn't give proper attribution for the the license or whatever. But it just shows you that Mastodon is very malleable and that that type of thing is fine as long as you are giving credit and so on. Mm -hmm. But so there is more of a what I would call a follow back culture there. So if you follow someone, it's pretty likely that a lot of times they will follow you back, which on Twitter is not really the case. You'd follow somebody and they'll never even interact with you right. at all. And maybe they're just getting too many. They're just, you're, there's too much going on for them to ever see you. And of course the algorithm has another layer of remove. So it, uh, but I think no one, no one probably would have, Mastodon has been around for since 2016, but it was pretty niche until Elon Musk purchased Twitter. At which point a lot of people began looking at Mastodon as an alternative to Twitter, even though as we described, it works quite a bit differently. So the idea that it could ever become a one-to-one -one replacement for Twitter, I think is, was maybe the wrong expectation to have because it just, it has a different design. It built on different principles. You know, and I think, I, I wonder how many people bounced off of it at that point because hey, Pete, me personally bounced off of it when folks yeah. were saying like, yes, get a mask instead of Twitter. But yeah. I, but it, Definitely not Twitter. There's lots more to learn. And I think getting excited about it as its own entity, right? It, yeah. So I've been thinking about this kind of as from the perspective of activity being a, being what Mastodon is built on. And it being mm -hmm. a, a protocol that really emphasizes the public sphere and emphasizes like, how we interact with each other, it like enables that, right? And I think the, I maybe the right way to interact with Mastodon is to get excited about the way that it makes it easier for people to talk to each other. Yeah, I think it is instead more of as a Twitter yeah. replacement is what I'm saying. 
Sorry. Yeah, I would say it's conversational compared to Twitter where you're, you're just trying to like broadcast something and get clout in a way, right. which I don't think you're going to get all that clout in Mastodon, even if you're a big account. It's a lot. It's, uh, it's a different. It's more personal. The incentives are different. Yeah, the incentives are a lot different. You just, you're not going to get that rush of going viral and dunking on somebody. It's just it's going to be much more low key than that. And I think a lot of people, Mastodon saw a big surge in last November and then it's tapered off but a good number of people have stuck around like if you look at the growth chart it's like it it goes up really rapidly and then it, it kind of tapers off a little bit but it stays at a level that's still far elevated above where it was pre-surge yeah. and then you know, they had another surge when Twitter it used to be a lot of I think one out of every six Twitter users used to use Twitter via a client like a third-party client instead of the official Twitter app or the Twitter website so this was something that was disproportionately done by enthusiasts, like people who were like hardcore Twitter users who they had certain preferences that were not being met by the official Twitter app. And they thought I should use a third party app instead. So what these apps do, so like TweetBot was a, a famous one, Twitterific. So what these apps are doing is someone is building an app and they're using the Twitter API, which API is short for application programming interface. So what an API is, it's the way that you access the data of a service. Mm -hmm. So in order to have a Twitter client, you can build all the, the user interface, and everything on your end, but you have to have some way to actually get the tweets. And that's what you, what is called. And you do that by making API calls. So when you call an API, you're saying, Hey, can you send me this data? And so what Twitter did was eventually it just said, you can't use our API anymore for this, or not for this use case. And so then they just couldn't use it. And so like you would be in the app and it would just say couldn't refresh or something. And then Twitter, the Twitter API is still around, but now it's exorbitantly expensive. It's you know, thousands of dollars a month to access X number of tweets, which a Twitter client would need to access an incredible number of tweets for every user. So the amount of API calls they would make in a month would easily get them having pay, to pay like an just an unfeasible amount and actually tw this issue recently came up with reddit as well apparently reddit is increasing their api prices quite a bit and so there are some third-party reddit clients and they have this issue now where they might not be able to afford to pay and the twitter api issues have also made it where like automated accounts or the posting on a certain schedule they don't work as well either or they don't work at all because they were relying on the api to Hey, at this time every day, post this from this source or something. It's you making can use my it, life yeah. as a social media person for my university, like real dumb. Because <laughs> no. I like to schedule things. I like to schedule upwards yeah. of 20 and 30 tweets at a time. Can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So without the API, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. You can't automation becomes... There used to be an automate, but there is, there still is an automation service called IFT, I think it's three T's, IF and three if T's. This, then, this, yeah. They used to have a lot of Twitter automations. And now I think you have to be in a premium plan to use it because, of course, it costs so much for IFTTT to use the Twitter API that they have to pass on the cost somehow. But, and so with, so with Twitter's API being so limited, basically the only way you can use Twitter is either through the official apps or the website, or just pay this exorbitant amount to access the API. Mm -hmm. And with Mastodon, Mastodon has an API, and it can do basically everything that I just described with Twitter. Third-party client can 
use the Mastodon API to get data from Mastodon and populate the client with it, or you can automate things. So there are, there's a huge ecosystem of third-party Mastodon clients. All right? There is an official Mastodon app for iOS and Android, but there's a lot of others. There's one called Ivory, which is built by the same company that built TweetBot. The one I use is called Mona, like as in Mona Lisa. And so these each have their own sort of feature sets. They're all fundamentally the same thing. You can read Mastodon posts. You can do everything you could on those site or in the official app, but you have this third-party app that is might offer more functionality or different design. So Ivory has a lot of custom sounds and and user interface elements that are unique. And then Mona has custom icons. You can rearrange the toolbar in all kinds of weird ways. And you can just, you can even use it on Mac and iPhone and it syncs your reading position across the two of them. You can be on the app on your phone. You exit the app at a certain point. When you pull it up on your Mac, it's at the exact same point you had. And that's because of iCloud syncing. Nice. But yeah, so it's, you can do a lot of this stuff and it's flexible and you don't have to pay a lot of money for it because it's, it's a free and open source service. This whole eco developer ecosystem is now basically impossible to operate for Twitter or even I would say soon for Reddit is thriving on Mastodon. I even built like an IFTTT allows you to use two applets on the free plan now. And I built one where it would take all of the posts of my blog from the RSS feed of my blog. And post in the Mastodon via like what's called a web hook. And then it'll say in the Mastodon post, it'll say the source will be IFTT. Twitter used to do that too, where it would show for every tweet where the tweet came from. So it's a via web or via Twitter for iPhone or via tweet bot. And I don't think it said, I think now all it says is from earth, which is infuriating in some <laughs> way, but I'm like, wow, this is so helpful. So uh, and then, and then I, th I think, I guess the joke is that it could be from Mars Huge know. eye roll. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, or all of my eyes yeah, hard huge. enough. Yeah. So that's, but Mastodon will say via, depending on how you're looking at it, it'll say via Mastodon for iOS or via IFTTT or via Mona for iPhone or whatever. It's a little more transparent. But... I downloaded the, the Mastodon, like just the yeah. one. And it's yeah. Fine. It's just your regular. Yeah social media yeah it, it's free and i think a lot of the third-party clients are either like ivory is subscription-based and mona is a one-time payment which i greatly prefer but they they can make the experience a little more customizable and like i said the look and feel can be a little nicer than the official app and but these are almost entirely an ios mac os thing i don't know hardly any third party there may be a few for android but in windows but it's a very apple thing and Tweetbot was too. It was a very Apple thing. So the other, with, so Mastodon had this big surge and I think, but I think a lot of people became disillusioned with it or, or people who came from Twitter in particular, I should say, not everyone at large. Yes. They got there and they were like, this is different. Well, it was and advertised as a one-to-one -one replacement for- Like a drop-in yeah. replacement for Twitter. Everybody's just going to pick up a shop and move to Mastodon. It's going to be the exact same. It's just not like the, you don't have the monoculture there where you have, who is the person of the day? Right. It's like on Twitter where you have all the accounts that you follow are interacting with the same bad tweet, <laughs> which on Mastodon, you might not even see that post because maybe it's from some instance that has been federated from yours. <laughs> right. But so it, it's just a different vibe. Like you can't, you're not going to make your, your viral content. I mean, there's even a, a lot of people don't like self-promotion on there. 
So yeah. that's different too. Yeah. A lot of times I, if I have something I want to promote, I'll put a content warning and say prom- promoting something I did or something. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, and I, so I gave very brief thought to put on my like creds or whatever in my mail. But when I went to, to tweet about my novel, or sorry, I went to, how do I, wait, how do I talk about posts on Mastodon? How do I, I, mas- I Mastodon yeah. about, anyway, I went to <laughs> yeah. post about my novel and I thought, oh, this feels really disingenuous. I don't think the vibe is right here for this. <laughs> yeah, there is a vibe there and it's hard to describe, but it's definitely not. Here's something great that I did and everybody's going to make it go viral. That's not going to happen. And a lot, it's, it's uh, about having a conversation less about like advertising. It, it's, yeah, and it's quite earnest too. I would say that I might have made this joke or statement before in a previous episode, but I always thought Mastodon was in between. So on the one, one extreme, you have LinkedIn, which is like a, an irony free yeah. zone. And then the, on the other end, you have Twitter, which is like <laughs> natively it's ironic. And then, yeah. And then so Mastodon is somewhere in between because you do have some servers that are there as, as shit posting as any shit posting on Twitter, monads.online or jorts.horse or beige.party or some of the ones that I've thought are sort I of got that mold. jorts.horse in my search bar. Yeah. I think Mastodon probably is the best use case so far. The new top level domains that came in like about 10 years ago, like .party and .horse and all the ones that people, if you try to register domain, they're always like the ones that are really cheap. I think I was shocked when I mean, you could get, I think something.party once it was like super cheap and, or I think one that I got for myself is .agency, but I'm not, I'm not using that for Mastodon, mm-hmm. obviously, but it's, so it's somewhere in between that. So a lot of people will say stuff like Mastodon is just not funny compared to whatever and it, anything else with Mastodon, it really depends on how you constructed yeah, the experience because or, yeah. because it's everybody's experience of Mastodon is often quite different from each other's because it depends on what server they're on. What server does that server know about? What filters have they set up? Have they decided to mute this content? Have they decided to turn on notifications for this account? You can do that every time somebody posts, you get a notification saying they just post something new, which is similar to how Twitter works as well. But it's a different experience. So I think a lot of, and then a lot of, a lot of Twitter users who then became disillusioned with Mastodon, then the new shiny object became Blue Sky, which was originally a Twitter spinoff, which now is a separate company, but it tries to create Twitter in a similar, but decentralized way. So it yeah, has, so I- instead of activity prob, yeah, it has its own protocol, which I think is called the AT protocol. I have never even and, gone to the Blue Sky website, yeah. so I'm interested to hear yeah. about this. Like the, it, it's yeah, like Twitter, it's, but it tries to do the decentralized mess thing, but it's not activity. Pub, yeah, right? it's not activity pub. It uses something totally different, and it right now that's all theoretical, by the way, because it, there's just the one Blue Sky instance, and it hasn't started any sort of federation to go with other servers. Oh, I have a meme That's still hypothetical. Okay, continue. Sorry. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so it, like beyond that, it's it tries to recreate the Twitter experience. So it does have, here's the accounts you're following, here's what's hot and so on. And, but it, and then people will say things like, Blue Sky is way funnier than Mastodon is or something. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's a different vibe for sure, but it's quite small. I think it only, ha- it probably has less than 100,000 viewers users and it's invite only so that has added to its allure so you can't just go to bluesky.com and sign up you have to have somebody has to invite you there and it's run by some crypto people and jack dorsey is associated with it so it's been quite weird 
to me to see people who fled Twitter from Mastodon or, or who are still on Twitter and who are like, I don't like the right wing politics of Twitter. It's time to take the conversation to blue sky, which is by implication more leftist or more ethical somehow. Or on at Mastodon, there's, you know, I came to Mastodon because Twitter's unbearable now. But now it's time to go back to Blue Sky because it's better than what it's like here at Mastodon. And I think this is a weird view because Matt, Blue Sky is run by literally the same guy who sold Twitter to Elon right. Musk. So like you really, I don't know, it, I don't think it gives you any sort of ethical escape from Twitter. And it's quite a bit smaller, like I said, than either than Twitter or let, than Mastodon or let alone Twitter, which is many orders of magnitude larger. But I think, and it started out, the protocol was something like, it had something to do with crypto. And like I said, its federation is still theoretical. And I think that someone explained that the best reason they could think of that why Blue Sky tried to build their own protocol instead of doing ActivityPub was that if they had used ActivityPub, they probably would have been the most defederated server by far because they don't really have any moderation. It's all, it's, they try to do moderation where it's algorithmic and mm. Each user decides they set the algorithm to a certain level, like they want to see less violence or more violence or less racism or more racism. And it's not a very, there's a famous saying that with social media moderation is the product. And it's true because it moderation determines which there's all kinds of just horrible stuff that get people upload to Facebook or Twitter or any other commercial social network that you never see because there's a whole army of content moderators that, you know, behind the scenes. Like actual real often, people who have to look at this garbage. Actual real yeah. people who have to look at this garbage. A lot of them are like in the Philippines and they have to like decide, hey, this is not going to get posted. Yeah. And if you, I think uh, Tumblr, same way, if you try to blaze a post on Tumblr, it has to go through a moderation process. Like you can't just blaze anything. And uh, so. Sorry, that's like my favorite that you've said so yeah. far. You can't just blaze anything. <laughs> blaze anything. Yeah. Take that out. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. You can't just blaze. Yeah. But I was just going to say with moderate. Yeah. So moderate. Mozilla, I think, ha is setting up a Mastodon instance and yes. their whole thing is going to be just like severe content moderation, like no zero tolerance for any sort of, which, you know, that, that really shows you how there is, the moderation really is the core of social media. Right. But yeah, with Blue Sky, though, the, the idea of that everybody's going, you're tinkering with these sort of your sliders of how much vile stuff they want to see or not. You know, they, they call it composable moderation. And all I can think of is there's a famous drill tweet, something like where he says, going on the price is right. Going on like the price is right, contested, turning a big dial that says racism back and forth and looking at the crowd and seeing what how they react <laughs> or something. And so it's literally, you're trying to figure out what you want to see and you're, there's like a racism dial and you're like saying, yeah, maybe a little bit to the left, maybe a little bit to the right. I want to see less racism. I want to see more. And it's just, it does, I don't think it can scale at all. Blue Sky is so small. Yeah. And I think if it ever gets, grows or whatever, it does actually acts on this defederation thing. I just, I can't. And Mastodon gives you a lot of tools to moderate content on your own. I mean, you can mute and block and defederate. And of course, your admin can make decisions too about what servers they don't want to have any interactions with. Yeah. The thing that uh, I find interesting about the moderation aspect is like you're saying like your admin basically has the say of what you can see and mm -hmm. like even my i follow like the verge the media website and all of those profiles had been hidden by server admin like, i could still oh, yeah. see them and follow them but they wouldn't show up in like the feeds 
the timeline. Yeah. yeah. And so I th- that was odd or weird. But you're basically at the mercy of the political leanings or proclivities of the person who is running yeah. the server. Which is yeah. sometimes that's, community organizing yeah. is real thing. It's a real, it's, it's better and worse than commercial social media in yeah. some way, because at the one hand, you're at you're the whim of the single person. On the other hand, if they're good, that's maybe a better setup than having it be subject to corporate some greed, corporate board yeah. that's only interested in trying to boost engagement. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's, in a way, it's, it's like it, the anti-capitalist social media. And maybe that's a little strong. Maybe that's a little strong. But yeah. how free and open source software is, it is built, right? Of- yeah. I mean, although, it, of course, it does, it has been quite commercialized. I mean, in general, because, I mean, there are lots of products that people use every day that use lots of open source product licenses mm-hmm. in them. Lots of Google products have open source skeletons in them, and same with Apple. Yeah. But it's, with Mastodon, I think the only people making any money off Mastodon are probably the people who are selling the premium third-party clients, mm-hmm. which, like I said, that is a very Apple thing because I think most people would never in their life think about, I would pay for a third-party email app on my Mac. Like they would just, most. I would say most people would probably just go to gmail.com and that's how they use their yep. email. But but there is a, a Mac app called MimeStream, which is a dedicated desktop Gmail app built only for Mac OS and it costs like $50 mm-hmm. a year. And there are plenty of people who are willing to pay for that. And I think with Mastodon too, it's every, like I said, is it a subscription and Yamona is a paid product and there's quite a few others, but I don't know what percentage of Mastodon is probably used via those such apps. I would say it's a pretty, I would say it's a higher share than Twitter. Cause I think, like I said, only about one sixth of Twitter users use a third party app, but I think also that has to uh, do with like you were saying about the audiences, right? Because most, I think right. most people who have gotten deep enough into I almost called it Amazon. Anyway, we got to get rid of these words. <laughs> the Most people yeah. who have gotten deep enough into Mastodon understand or at least are baseline familiar with the underlying technology, right? Yeah. So they would be, I think, me, this is only, but I feel like those kinds of people would be more willing to pay for, for a third-party client that they can customize and that they can interact with the service like the way that they do because the way that it's set up it's very personalized you have yeah i think there's a big difference between tech savvy people and less savvy which that's fine being savvy is not any sort of judgment it's just a description but i think a lot of people will think of i think the less savvy people would think of mastodon as a website and other people would think of it as a service if the more savvy people would think of it as a service and same way with twitter they would think the normal people, Twitter was a website to develop to the tech savvy. Twitter was a service. So it was something that they could integrate into something else. Right. Whereas, so it was, it's a different view. And of course, with now with the Twitter API being so limited, it is basically just a website oh, now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Ma- Mastodon is, is very much a service, which is why I was reluctant to call it a social network because it, it's the experience just varies so much between from client to client, from server to server it's no two people are ever gonna have the same experience in mastodon not it's there's no monoculture there yeah i think that's probably why i bounced off of it at first because i was one of those people who thought that, oh twitter's gone to the garbage so i gotta find yeah. something new 
And yeah. you think about Twitter as a, I, Twitter provides me a service, but it's not what I always, like my default description for it. And so I default to the word forum when I think about these social medias. And I think that's just yeah. my social media routed brain. But, and so Mastodon, I was thinking of it as a platform and I thought, can I just go to mastodon.com, log in, and have a an account on this? Oh, <laughs> the answer is no. And it's taken me a while to get used to the idea that it's, I really like how you described it at the beginning of this conversation, which was as a software. It's essentially yeah. a piece of software that someone is running on a server that allows you to interact with these posts. It do all of the instances look the same? Do they have the same? Yeah, that's the thing. They I think some of them do look different yeah, on the web, but the clients flatten them. So ah. when you go, when you're using like Mona or Average, and they all look the same. But if you go on the web between them, they might have a slightly different sort of look and feel to them. But so if you were to use an analogy with Twitter, it's let's go see a movie. Everybody goes to the same theater to see the movie. With Mastodon is let's watch a movie. Everybody has their own device and tries to watch at the same time. So it, in a different location. So you're getting a lot of different degrees of separation there. And each person is going to see it a little bit differently because their device might have a higher resolution, lower resolution, might have a faster connection, slower connection. So whereas if you're in the in your one theater, it's like everybody's here in the same place. It's going to look exactly the same. So now basically everybody who's using Twitter is using it at twitter.com or the Twitter app. So what do you think about this metaphor? I'm going to take your theater for more stuff. So it's more like a drive-in, right? So you're watching it, you're seeing the same content and you're watching it on the same screen, but your personal experience is different because you could be running your air conditioning. Right. You could be talking to the people in your car, whatever's special and unique about your vehicle. Mm. It's the same content. It just might look a little and sound a little different yeah that's true or yeah it, it's i think that is a good analogy and i'm trying to think of how to make the analogy where there would be some content you just wouldn't see at all because it was defederated but i can't think of how to have had to... you're in a car at the very back oh no you're in a car and right in front of you is a giant truck. yeah there's that or <laughs> so you can't see the yeah or to use mine of like different people on different devices like somebody's watching it on like a the original version of somebody's watching like the TV version that's had pieces cut for ads, greater ad place. Yeah. Something was removed to make more time for advertisements. But as a th I guess it like, being a thing of the past because who watches movies on ad supported TV anymore? But, uh, but I guess, <laughs> I guess ads, ad supporting streaming is may have becoming a thing. Stop making a so like we might see that now, whereas you're watching some, something on Netflix and all of a sudden a big ad comes in and cuts out a big part of it. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the, it's, and it's not even. This is a separate conversation, but it's not even a like a, a like a legitimate stopping point. Yeah. I'll always just be watching and it's always on Amazon. I'll just be watching a show and it's in the middle of a sentence <laughs> when someone is talking. Yeah. Just tell they just shoehorn that ad. Yeah, no, it's it, it because the content was not made with ads in mind, not like a like network right. TV was definitely made with ads in mind. So a lot of times the, the oh, pacing is made for that. But the worst part of it is that sometimes I watch shows that 
that were made for network TV. Yeah, and then and even, even... <laughs> it'll have that long pause and no ads, and then three minutes later, when someone yeah, is in the middle, I'm of sure this, some algorithm. Like, it was right there. Some <laughs> algorithm probably like, it'll pay us. To, we'll we'll make two more cents if we run it here than right exactly. than there or exactly. something. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. But no, it's anyway. Yeah, ads are I don't know as much as possible. I try to avoid them. There's all kinds of you can you can live a surprisingly free ad existence, but you have to pay a price for it. Of course, like with. And YouTube premium is probably one of the, that's can remove all the ads from YouTube for I think 20 bucks a month for a family. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it is like using a different thing entirely because when you just, you play a video, it plays right away and there's no interruptions. So it's, if I had to only pick one ad free thing, I think that would probably be it. You could also remove all the ads from, you can remove all the ads from Tumblr for 40 bucks a year. And then you can, what else can you do? But the Tumblr ads are so funny. Yeah, that's I think I don't mind. By funny, my broken content health brain finds it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is a good segue into something that I wanted to ask you about, which was the idea of content marketing in this world of decentralized social networking. And like, there's no evidence, right? <laughs> And there's no the how we talked about how the maybe the culture isn't there for doing advertising or doing promotional content like what do you think what do you think the content marketing industry is gonna do with if twitter decides to go which we yeah i think I, it probably i just will. i think with advertising i just think they'll realize there's not really well, with Mastodon, I don't, of course, you can't run an ad on there. So I think you'd have anything you'd have to do, you'd have to have some kind of probably organic, like, organic posts like that would get. And, but then I have no idea what kind of analytics you could ever get from Mastodon about that. I'm sure, I don't know if you, I've not really looked into that, if, you, if that's even possible. So I think that yeah. the entire experience would probably be one that I don't know if advertisers would even want to to bother with it. They'd probably try to just find some other venue like they would probably double down on facebook or youtube now is doing something with unskippable ads on tvs so if you watch youtube on a tv but usually you can see ads they're just like skip this ad in four seconds or something but those make it where you can't skip it at all yeah but that's why i think paying for youtube premium was always something that i was happy to do just because i, would, I never have to see any ads I yeah worry about that and um, but yeah, I think with decentralized, I don't know. It's because I think the idea of content marketing is just built on the idea that there's this one big central node that is guaranteed to have a lot of people passing through it. And you just don't have that on Mastodon unless, you know, the Mastodon.social admins decide that on the local instance there and you can run like promoted posts or something. I don't know. And I think that's going to be like the easy out yeah. for the folks from Twitter who don't want to think of federated. Yeah. They're going to join us. Yeah, and the th I think the Mastodon use. I think the problem with any sort of content marketing through there is that Mastodon just can't guarantee that you'll. They can't guarantee a consistent experience for the people. People would just they might not ever see your post. They might. They're just going to have a different. Everybody's going to have their own different experience, and it's not a monoculture like Facebook or Twitter is. So I just don't. I just don't think it'll work. I don't, I think that. The project to the degree that it continues to be because of volunteers and donations. I find that really interesting and compelling. Like, yeah, we started talking about like Facebook, 
Facebook back in the day, right? Versus Facebook now. So Facebook back in the day was like solely a communication platform. Yeah, but, you interact yeah. with the people that you know and you like meet them in your college class and then you add them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nowadays, it's an advertising nightmare. I literally never log into Facebook anymore. Yeah, I would never go there to try and communicate with someone. If they were trying to communicate with me on Facebook, I would tell them, do something else, email me or yeah, or some, yeah, like, go somewhere else to reach me. Don't reach me here, which right. is the exact well, opposite. Like, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Like you, It's intentional when you're on Mastodon. You're intentionally interacting with other people. Yeah. To me, it seems like, like there's these big companies, right? Like Twitter, whatever, governing that portion of our communication right. portion of the public sphere yeah it's more of a consumption yeah i mean does that make sense you're... so there's content on facebook and whatever to be consumed instagram reels or tiktok yeah it's less of peer-to-peer communication and more of consuming yeah i feel like i'm asked that i'm not going there to consume anything usually there are a couple of accounts that, that i have alerts on for so if they post something i, I will always see it but mostly I, I often go there to post my own stuff or to respond to somebody's posts which on on facebook or twitter a lot of times like the interact the responses or interactions are very superficial something like congratulations that's it or what's with this guy or something like that and then like, <laughs> Uh, Twitter in particular, I think always is, has just a high n- number of hostile interactions. But uh, anyway, it's, and you do get some reply guys on Mastodon telling you that something is wrong or something. But, and of course, I think for people who are not who are members of marginalized communities, it might be a little tougher for them. And there aren't really any, as you get started, there's not really a lot of guardrails to help you get used to how the platform works. It's like you have to use it and then figure it out as you go. But I don't know. It's, it, it's, you you are in control in a way because you have you aren't having content thrust upon you. If you anything you don't want to see, you're not going to see because you can just say you know, mute this or block this forever, and then that's it. And then there's not going to be any ads. There's not going to be any viral poster. Not really a thing there. So yeah, you don't really like. It, it's not like on Twitter where Elon can shove into the code. Yeah. Nobody can block. Nobody me. can block me or it's, something. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It's more of a i mean i keep returning to this idea is that you have to like you have to look for it you yeah have you have to seek it out about what you're interacting a mastodon with. most of the time, once you've refined it a bit everything is something you want to see so it's i guess to the degree that's possible because yeah. but it's not like twitter where you might just get something unexpected out of the blue like on the for you tab or an ad that you know it's just what the heck is this it is intentional. It's, it's like RSS. You know, when you fill up an RSS feed reader with all the feeds of the different websites that you like. You really have to curate. You have to curate it really because, you know, you have to know, is this site going to post too much? Am I going to get too many posts from this site? Or is this one that I want to always see everything from? Or can I just live with seeing you know, the occasional thing and checking it in the browser? And instantly, you, you... Can you add Mastodon feeds? Yeah, you can, you can turn any... You can turn any Mastodon account or any mass on feed can be turned to rsss all you have to do is type the you type the instance name and then a slash and then the app symbol and then the handle and then dot rss so you do like mastodon.social at er slash at erkwelder dot rss and in that in the feed reader you would see here's all the posts from that account it's actually, it's pretty handy. I think you might have been able to do that a long time ago with Twitter, but not for years. But uh, So if you don't want to download the 
Yeah. Yeah. Some people, if you're only really interested in reading, actually, I think that in some ways it's 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 a simpler and more streamlined experience to just read it in RSS. Like you can pick out the handful of accounts that you you really want to keep tabs on and then just put them in a feed reader and that saves you some time and effort. And then you're really just seeing only what you want to see. And I think that's an interesting. Yeah. The other advantage of that is that you don't even have to have a Mastodon account to do that. You can just, you can just say, I know this is the Mastodon account of this person. I'm going to add it and that's it. You never have to log in or anything. Well, that's a, a, a different conversation, right? Because then at that point, it's a social network. It's like just reading. Right. Because you're, you're not interacting with anything. You're, you're not, not like, yeah. like contributing. But it gives you that option. So oh. that's another thing that makes it, I yeah. think, different than a lot of social networks that you really can customize your experience to an incredible degree. So you can be like yeah. a, a, a hyper poster. You can be like a, just someone who just reads a few feeds and that's it. So... Always be posting. Always be posting. Yeah. So it's, and it's funny because they don't call them instead of tweets. Yep. They're literally called posts. So, so, okay. Thank God. Yeah. They don't yeah. have to call it some kind of. They, they used to be called toots. Like a. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. They used to be called toots. And then at some point they became posts, which. And then it become it became more popular. So they had to scrub their image. Yeah. They, they changed toot to post. And it's, okay. yeah, it's post. I don't know the word. But that's another great sentence. Yeah. They changed toot to post. Yeah. I mean, it's, I didn't even check if dot post is a top level domain, but that would be a toot dot post. It would be a, it would be a, yeah. Oh my God. But anyway, it's, I think the activity pub website is at activity pub dot rocks, which. Uh, yes, it yeah. is. Yes. I've seen the dot rocks domain a few times and tot dot rocks is the domain of the notes app that I use a lot. But uh, yeah, so you do get, they did clean it up a little bit, but I don't know, the word post for me is always going to be associated with, I don't know, something with. Shit posts. Shit posts, like, yeah. Or there's, if you just go to Twitter and search from drill and then the word post, and there's oh, just shit. all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, Does drill have a mess? I, I, I think there is a drill at Mastodon.social account. I don't know if it's his, though. So on, on Mastodon does not have verification, not in the way Twitter does. So you can verify your Mastodon account another way, though, and it's actually quite it's quite democratic in a way. You If you have a website, on which you can edit the HTML. You can put a link to your Mastodon profile in there with a certain REL, like rail attribute. And when you put that on the website, like you can think on my blog is as a custom domain, but it's Tumblr underneath. And I in Tumblr, even on even without a custom domain on Tumblr, you can edit the HTML and you can just mm-hmm. put like a link to your Mastodon profile in there with that attribute. And once it goes through on your Mastodon profile in the field that says website, you don't have a green check mark next to it. That is, you can, so if you, in theory, I think Ars Technica, the publication has an official Mastodon account. It's official because it has the check mark next to the website, meaning that they've edited the website code to include that link. But there are a lot of accounts on Mastodon that are just mirrors of Twitter accounts that they've they just post everything that posted a Twitter account or they're, they're not official. They're just giving you some information they scrape somewhere else. So yeah, it's, it drill. There is a drill mask on that social. I don't know if it's, it hasn't posted in a while. I think drill does have an account on blue sky though. And actually, if you're interested in, in who drill is, I think the ringer.com did a profile of them recently. I like who the real person was. Yeah. That's a whole, the ringer is. I could do a whole thing on the ringer, which is a website. It's it, the founder is this guy named Bill Simmons. Who's like really into sports. His whole 
sports rhetoric is just, it's over the top. And it's about, a, it's, there's a subreddit called, I think, r slash Bill Simmons, which sort of goes into some of that. But I was actually posting about him recently, but they all will seem very inside baseball if you've never listened to his podcast. <laughs> but no need to get too deep into that. But uh, yeah, but I think we've covered probably most of the things that are pretty noteworthy about Mastodon. And yeah, yeah. I have a note to, to uh, look into the issues that the marginalized communities were having with it, because I'm interested in reading more about that. Yeah, it's you could do a whole thing on that, because I think in a way it's the same. It's a lot of the same issues that make the same communities wary of working in tech in general, because it's like yeah. getting told they're wrong about something, not being part yeah. of a club. It's, uh, there's, it's, there's, it's nothing that would be unfamiliar to somebody who had experienced that you know, firsthand. Microaggression. 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 But it does seem like there's a pretty good LGBT community there, which I was I was surprised at how, at least, and of course, the thing is with Mastodon, you can really get into your own sort of filter bubble because the way you curate your feeds and so on can make it where you think, you know, the whole site is just overflowing with a certain type of people, whereas it might not be. It's just that's what you've chosen to see. Right. And the stuff you don't want to see, you're not going to see it. Yeah, it's, but it's something that I think it'll have to navigate i don't know if it's really a site that i would say is built for it's not definitely not really built for commerce and it's to make it scale good it's to make it scale decently well considering how sort of bare bones in a way it is but i think it, the technologies that it was built with are pretty basic like ruby on rails and postgresql and so on but uh, yeah it seems to be holding up i enjoy using it there are a couple of people on there that i interact with quite frequently and there's now that I'm on Mastodon on social, I get to see posts in real time instead of seeing them on an hour delay. So I used to think that like, there's just Good. there's no <laughs> way I'll ever be able to file any news on here because I don't get it until way after the fact that that was just the quirk of the original server that I'd been on. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I feel like we've talked around it yeah. and come to a logical conclusion here. I really am. I enjoy talking about this stuff because you have such such a better understanding of the underlying technologies. I'm coming at this from like a social perspective yeah. of like, I really, it's interesting to think about how we communicate and how we talk to each other. Yeah, it is. I think, I feel like this is bringing us back to the early Facebook of it only being a communications medium. Yeah. And you're talking to people that maybe you don't like know them, but like you are making a conscious decision to interact with people that are following you and with you. With Yeah, it's true. I think there is a throwback element to it. And I think it also is a, it's another good demonstration of why email has never really been disrupted. So I don't really like the whole concept of disruption. I think it's it's overplayed Dis big time. But and the guy who created it was just a total lunatic too. But anyway, it's uh, but it shows you like if you have this open technology that anybody can implement and communicate with, it's that's pretty durable. You think about email; it's like more than fifty years old, and it's outlasted so many things that were supposedly going to take it apart. And the fact is that it's just it, it works, and it's not. It's standardized and it's uh, it's not glamorous, of course. But people people used to think email was neat, which is quaint in retrospect. Because now it's even though it's the it's the thing that I ignore on my phone the most. You think about it, like the only companies that can really run mail servers you can reliably use are just gigantic conglomerates like yeah. Google, yeah. Apple, Microsoft. But they're running it on that decentralized. Yeah, so there is a decent protocol, right? Even though Gmail is like over half of all email accounts, I think you do have. And the fact is that it would have never worked if it didn't support SMTP, because then it would just been a walled garden. There could be, I, I think, one thing to watch with ActivityPub in the future will be Tumblr is supposed to support this at some point. 
Tumblr yes, app. Yes, I read yeah, that. So yeah, so this could be a big change because you could, in theory, you could log into the Tumblr app and see all your Mastodon feeds in there. Gosh, and uh, that's going to be amazing. And Do you know, there have been so many jokes on Tumblr of it being like, oh, it's just, it's like the other app. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like no one really has a, a Tumblr account or knows what it is, but it seems like it's having a resurgence. Yeah, I think... Yeah, Tumblr did benefit some from the Twitter, Twitter thing. And yeah. then also Tumblr is owned by Automatic now, which is the company that owns WordPress. Oh, that's right. And then WordPress.com, they're a contributor to WordPress, the framework, but they don't own that because WordPress.org is a, it's masked on that it's software you can use to build something else. It's not really a destination in and of itself. But yeah, Tumblr is owned by Automatic and it did get some users back. And I feel like it, it was true at some point. I don't know if it still is true, but I think Tumblr still is bigger than Twitter, which is a real sort of a Twitter is not real life moment. So yeah. because there, I think there are only there are only like maybe I'm saying only maybe 200 and something million Twitter accounts, and there's 400 and something million Tumblr accounts. Of course, not all of those are active at any point, and some of them have probably been abandoned for years. But it's still it's like that network that everyone forgets about always, but is actually a giant. <laughs> there, there are a lot of stuff you can do with Tumblr. It's, I mean, because it, it, it really does straddle the line between it can be a place to blog, it can be a place to share like art, it can be a place to meme. A lot of memes came from Tumblr, like the guy trying to figure out which of two buttons to press and he's like sweating profusely. That's like a, that yep. was a Tumblr original. And then, a, yep. but, and then it had t the Tumblr API is pretty flexible. So like they, I think I posted on my Tumblr the other day that I basically post all I actually hardly ever post from the Tumblr app itself. I usually use either Mars Edit, which is like a Mac app, or I use an iOS shortcut to publish directly from the Notes app, which you can, it's amazing you can do that. You can just, have, just scribble something down like a note, press a button, and then it, it shows up in Tumblr as a, a perfectly formatted post. But uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at your latest post, right? It looks amazing. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, it's, <laughs> God, I, can, I do a whole thing on iOS shortcuts because I feel like that's the thing that like, it's like every iOS. I feel like the number of iPhone users who ever use that is probably so meager, but you can do some really crazy shit with it. It's quite powerful. And, uh, but uh, apparently it's a, it was an acquisition. It was really called workflow, which makes it sound really businessy, but yeah, I don't really use it for any <laughs> work. That is a, a quintessential content marketing keyword, workflow automation. <laughs> That's why I love that and Tumblr because they're all like that. <laughs> workflow <laughs> automation. automation. Yeah. Make your content. Yeah. Better. There, there was one that they ran for ages and ages that was just like <laughs> it, boost your content, like something. And it was straight out of a tweet. Like, boost your content with workflow automation. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to stop at. I think that we, but yeah, yeah we can. Think so. But there's plenty more. I mean, actually, I've gotten a lot of ideas about other stuff to talk about, but you should follow us both. Mastodon. Wait, yeah. I got to find my... Yeah. I don't even know what my handle put is. Our handle's in the show notes. And then, of course, we have our websites, which are yes. lizmakesstuff.com. And I'm mostly... Twosolid.substack.com. But you're transitioning, right? Yeah, I have twosolid.substack.com is my... That's where this podcast will go. And I do have some long-form writing there. But mostly for daily blogs, I'm back to posting on Tumblr. So it's content, yes. content-lab.agency, which is a... Very cool custom domain that I got via Apple's custom domain iCloud Plus program. So you can use iCloud Plus. If you have a subscription to iCloud Plus, you can buy a domain from Cloudflare, which is a domain registrar. And it, it's 
once you buy it, it's all, it already comes pre-integrated with iCloud mail. So that's pretty neat. And then it doesn't come, it doesn't, the domain is not a website out of the box. You have to, but what you can do is you can use that as a custom domain for Tumblr or WordPress or Substack, anything that supports that feature. So it's, it's cool. But yeah, so I'm on there and of course, two solid.substack.com and uh, yeah. And we're both on mass. And we're both so on mass. Yeah. Sounds good. Help me get more than four followers. Yeah. It's, it can be, <laughs> it can take time, but yeah, I know. It's, I'm still working on yeah. it. I basically just joined. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for listening. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye.